If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I do invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. You can also find the passage for today on the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of today's message. We are returning to our study of 1 Peter after um, the Advent season. We started several months ago looking at this book to look for hope for living faithfully during trying times, recognizing that the churches that Peter was writing to were living in trying times. Um, They were a scattered group of people, a people cast out, sent away from their homes, sent away from what they knew and loved and understood. And Peter encourages them. He offers strength to them. He tells them that you can be who God needs you to be in these circumstances. And over the course of the first two and a half, three um, chapters, we've seen that in various ways. We've heard Peter's call to holiness. And that really is the key, isn't it? In Christ, we are to be holy. And by being holy in Christ, that is how we will live faithfully during trying times. And it's very common this time of year for people to make resolutions or promises for the year ahead. And I have heard many of those and have made many of those myself. Maybe we are getting prepared to be better parents or get a little leaner or do better with finances or end up in a better work situation. Whatever it may be, it's, it's a time of reflection and a time of looking ahead. And all of that's good, and I encourage you to, to take those on and, and to pursue those goals. But if there's been one thing I've been praying for you and I've been praying for myself, is that in 2022, if God grants it to us, that we would be resolved to grow in our walk with the Lord. That we, as a church would be better prepared to live faithfully during trying times. Because while we do not know what's in store for us in 2022, we can be certain that there will be trying times. And we will need God's strength and God's favor upon us. And so my prayer for us as a church and for myself is that just that, that we will live with no fear. That we will live this coming year with boldness. That we will live with what God provides by His strength. And it is with that as our goal, with with that as kind of our overlook for this coming year, that we now turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 as we read verses 13 to 17, a very timely message for us today. Would you please follow along with me as I read for us the word of God? Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, 
but the word of the Lord will stand forever. He has promised us in his word that just as the water falls from heaven and gives nourishment to the ground, so too will his word go forth and provide everything that you and I need for this day and the days to come. Let us now go to him in prayer and ask that he do that for us in the next few moments. Dear Heavenly Father, your word nourishes our hearts. It strengthens our bones. It gives us the resolve to look ahead and trust you by faith and do what needs to be done. Oh Lord, would you grant that to us in these next few moments as we unpack your word? Would you strengthen us, encourage us, feed us, empower us by your word through the Holy Spirit that we may live as true believers, that we may face this world and its challenges and its struggles and its hardships without fear. The only way we can do this is by and through you, Lord. And so if there are people here that are living in fear, that do not know you, would you humble them this day by the power of your word? Would it weigh over their hearts? to the point in that they see their need for you and you alone. Father, again, this can only be done by your word and through your power. And so we ask you make it so, O oh Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. On June 30th of 1859, Charles Blondin became the first man in history to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls from the United States into Canada suddenly making him a very rich man, and through the course of his life, he would make around 20 more trips back and forth over the falls, each more daring than the last, and each attracting quite a crowd. The tightrope that day was suspended 160 feet on one end and 270 on the other above the raging waters of the falls. There was no safety harness or net. And some report on this first trip, over 100,000 people gathered to watch him walk the 1,100 feet across the falls. In a subsequent trip across, after he had proved himself on a bicycle, after he had taken out his camp backpack and cooked in the middle, after he had gone across in various styles and ways and fashions, this one trip in particular, he came with a wheelbarrow. And he asked people in the crowd, do you believe I can make this trip? And they shouted, yes, yes, we can. Do you believe I can make this trip in a wheelbarrow? Yes, yes, we can. And then his last question, do you think I could carry a person in this wheelbarrow? Absolutely. And then he looked at him and said, well, get in. The man said, certainly not. Faith and fear go hand in hand, doesn't it? It is far easier to say someone else will do something, that they have the ability, that they have the understanding, but when your faith comes on the line, when what they do, their actions match what um, deals with you, the consequences matter to you, it quickly becomes a different story. I don't mind if you go across that rope, but I'm not. See, I don't trust you that much is what really was revealed in this story. But we as Christians are told to have no fear. Now, I'm certainly not asking any of you to get into a wheelbarrow this morning. But I am saying, or better stated, Peter is saying that we should live boldly before the Lord. And we will face 
struggles. We will face hardships. We will face temptations and consequences just as great, if not greater, than a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And knowing that and knowing the struggles of the church when Peter writes, he gives them from our passage four aspects of a life that is full of trust in God. Four aspects of of true faith, of living without fear. And by taking hold of these and and placing them in our lives, we will be able, we will be empowered to do that which God has called us to do. The first aspect we see is that we should expect to be blessed for doing good. We find this in verse 13. Secondly, we are called to be prepared for what is ahead. We find this in 14 and 15. Thirdly, we are encouraged to defend our faith well, verses 15 and 16. And then fourthly, we are encouraged to know that our faith will be rewarded for our endurance. We see this in the final two verses. So four aspects of a faith-filled life, tools, if you will, to live without fear, knowing what is ahead. So would you please follow along with me as we unpack God's word this morning. And Peter does begin this passage with an interesting question, doesn't he? Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, there are two ways to look at this question, and let's briefly explore each. On the one hand, generally, you expect good of others when you treat them in a good and kind way. Now, I'm not thinking in the biblical sense here where we admit no one truly does good, no one but God. But I just mean in a a societal way, when you show kindness to others, when you do things that, that should be done, when you hold the door open, when you pick up a bag for someone, when you help someone across the street, you don't expect them to lash out in a vindictive way. There, there's a general goodness that you would expect to see in the world. And as Christians, this is especially true And we should be quick and we should be ready to respond in that way. When someone does good for us, when someone shows a kindness to us, it can have a major impact when we respond with goodness and kindness. I remember a a month ago when I was having a particularly rough morning. I was running late by my own consequences or my own actions. And I stopped by a caribou coffee on my way to a meeting And I got to the pull-up window, and the lady informed me someone ahead had paid for my order. Now, I had the money to pay for it, and quite frankly, I was actually aggravated um, at at the time. And as I was driving away, it just hit me. It was someone that has no idea who I am, has no idea of my circumstances, no idea of my mourning and how terribly it's going by my own actions, paid me a kindness that they will never see the fruit of. And that just, that just struck me, that, that general goodness, that, that act of kindness displayed without any, what am I going to get out of it? It just, it, it weighed upon me that morning, and, and it just reminded me of this passage, and I, I think it, it epitomizes it really well. Now, we need to be careful here, and, and I, I hinted at it, but we're not to do good to get something out of it. This, this passage is not saying you know, do good so that good will come. Um, in fact, we will know if 
we, as we go on, that that often does not happen. We do not believe in kind of a, a, a karmaic system, if I can butcher that word, that, that states good things come to people who do good and bad things come to people who do bad. And we're not banking up good so good will come to us. That, that is not the system that is in place here. We do good for the sake of our neighbor. We do good because it's the right thing to do regardless of the outcome. And so that's one way to look at this passage. How are you going to be harmed for doing good? How is bad going to come for those who seek good? But then we need to look at this biblically as well. And when you remember, as we think about this biblically, Peter is writing to suffering Christians. And when we think about it in that perspective, we look at it this way. There's no better good than God. There's no better good than godliness. For Christians, we belong to God, and Christ is our king and protector. And so we read this passage much like this. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is God's or what belongs to God or is of the character of God? And then we conclude, no one can harm us if we are zealous for doing good because we belong to the Father. The worst of this world, the worst thing that this world can bring to us is death. And death is but the passage, the step between here and the presence of our Savior. A temporary affliction, a, a short while we are on this earth. The, the writer of Ecclesiastes says it is but a vapor or smoke. It is here today, gone tomorrow. It is fleeting. It is a mist Satan's temptations will ultimately fail in our lives because we are covered by the blood of Christ, we who trust in him by faith. By tr pursuing true good, biblically speaking, we're free from any true and lasting harm. And so, dear Christian, as you do good, who can harm you? What ill can come of it? You can suffer, you can be persecuted, you can face hardship, yes, but even that has an end. It has a stop. Our lives are short in the grand scheme of things. Now, again, I want to be very careful with this. This does not mean you won't face trials and hardship at all. Jonah was swallowed by a fish and spent three days in the belly before being spat upon the shore. Job lost his family, his livelihood, his possessions, and almost his life to show him what true faith looks like. Paul his famous words to the church in Philippians 4 in its context, 11 to 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Not necessarily a quote to, to offer before sporting events, but recognizing a man who is starving and cold and alone in a prison, who if his dear Christian brothers and sisters did not feed him, he would die. Very different prison system. And he's saying, if I suffer in this prison, if I die, if I lose my life, praise be to God, for he has given me something far greater. 
And so, dear Christian, we, we ask this question, who is to harm you for being zealous to do good? And the answer is no one. But that does not come without trials. That does not come without difficulties. And we know that as we continue in our passage. Our second point is to be prepared for what is ahead. And Peter reminds us that we will suffer. We will face unjust consequences for our actions. He says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. You will be blessed if you suffer for righteousness' sake. Calvin defines suffering for righteousness as this. It means not only to submit to some loss or disadvantage in defending a good cause, but also to suffer unjustly when anyone is innocently in fear among men on account of the fear of God. Now, I fully admit this can be hard to accept. It is not easy to praise God when we are being persecuted for defending our faith. It is not easy to praise God when we are being mistreated or when people are taking advantage of us. But while it may be hard to accept, the consequences here is clear. You will be blessed. And we ask, why? Why are we blessed for being wrongly persecuted? Where's the benefit in that? How can good come from such a situation? I love how one commentator puts it. This blessing includes the favor of God in general, but more specifically, the readers would think of the blessing promised in verse 12. And if you look up in your Bibles to verse 12, we read this, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God has a special degree of watchfulness and care upon those who are righteous. And one way that we grow in our righteousness, that we grow in our ability to be holy before God, is through suffering. It is a tool, a tool that is used to, to shape us and mold us. And knowing this, it better prepares us for what's ahead. Have no fear. Do not be troubled. But honor Christ the Lord as holy. This world should not trouble us or overwhelm us. As we look ahead and we, we predict what's going to happen in 2022, and given the last two years as a track record, our minds can run wild with possibilities, can it? There's a lot of scenarios that could happen that could top the last two. Or maybe we go, there's no way you can top the last two. Be careful with that. But have no fear. Whether your imagination or, or your hypothetical comes true or not, or it's something that we don't even imagine or plan, have no fear. Because as we honor Christ and as we live boldly, we are more equipped to handle persecution and mistreatment. And this creates this wonderful cycle. As we live boldly through persecution, we are blessed, which makes us more righteous, which gives us the ability to better honor Christ as holy, which better prepares us to face persecution, which better equips us to be more righteous, which better prepares us to worship Christ as holy. It's this beautiful cycle of God refining us again 
and again and again and again to make us more in his image. And I, I, I'll say this repeatedly over the course of this text. Please don't hear me saying that any of this is easy. Sometimes God calls us to very difficult tasks. Many of the prophets, they were called to preach to Israel so that Israel would reject it and so that God could judge them because of it. Think of Isaiah. Think of Jeremiah. Think of many of those prophets who proclaimed God's word and it was rejected to their face and Israel faced judgment for it. Sometimes we're all but crushed by what is placed upon us. But consider that as an even greater opportunity to trust in and rest upon the Lord. For he will use it to make you more holy. It's a certainty. Look at the, the words again. Just a second here. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. For if you suffer, you will be blessed. It's a certainty. It's guaranteed. It, it will happen. It, it is a promise from God. You will be blessed. Now, while we've talked about this as persecution, there's another way this can go. There's another trial that we could face, and that is defending our faith. And so sometimes it will just come as, as strict persecution and opposition and attack and assault against us. But sometimes it will come as, well, why do you believe that? Well, why do you think that? How do you treat this passage this way or, or understand God to be like this? And knowing that that's the case, and especially in the time of, of, of Peter's church, who's dispersed all over the region, he teaches them and us to defend our faith well. We find this in verses 15 and 16. He says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, a reason of the hope that is in you. <laughs> Notice this. Um, I just have to, because of our context, I need to say this. This does not say, always be prepared to debate others on their view of baptism. Always be ready to bring others down on their view of the rapture in the book of Revelation. Always be prepared to argue people down who understand God's sovereignty and man's agency differently than you. None of that's found in here. And knowing that I'm in a reform setting and knowing that you know I love you dearly, I can tell you that because we are so prone to this, aren't we? We love always giving a defense for our Reformed views and teaching and understanding and telling others why they're wrong. And There's whole systems of labels for people of the Reformed faith because of this. No, this passage does not teach us to be arrogant or bullyish in our understanding. It says, give a defense for the hope that is in you. If you're not proclaiming it as hope, you're doing it wrong your brothers and sisters. You may be right in what you're saying, but if you're not doing it in a way that offers hope, you're missing the point. And even more simply, this really does require two things. It requires you have hope. Dear Christian, this morning, do you have hope? Are you hopeful that God's will will be done? Are you hopeful that he's coming back, that the world will turn out all right in the end? Are you hopeful that he is sovereign over the affairs of this world? And then secondly, and, and even more challenging, and even more of a challenge, are you showing that to others? 
Not just do you believe it, not just is it present in your own life and in your own heart, but how you interact with others, do they see it too? Because this passage says, give a defense for the hope that is in you. If they can't see hope in you, you can't defend it. And here, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be very honest with you here. You don't have to be overly optimistic at all times. This is not some passage that says you've always got to have a smile on your face and you've always got to be cheerful and everything's always got to be sunshine and rainbows. But at the same time, this passage is not calling us to be Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, that everything is doom and gloom. Even the good that happens to us is, is just waiting for that next bad, for, to make up for what's going to take place next. If you are a child of God, you have been forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and you are awaiting his return to take you home. If that does not give you hope and joy this morning, dear brothers and sisters, find me after the service. We need to talk about a few things. Peter tells us to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. That inward reality of hope ought to be present in our lives. Now, yet again, this does not mean the world's going to receive it well. We know this because Peter tells you as you're doing this, as you're living with hope, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, not if, but when, those who revile your good behavior will be put to shame. You will be slandered for doing good and for having a hopeful demeanor. The world will not like this. The world wants to drag you down to its level. I forget where the proverb comes from, but it says, Do not argue with a fool. They will drag you down to their level and then beat you with their experience. That's how the world treats everyone these days. This overly optimistic, positive outlook does not fit in the doom and gloom of our society, the hopelessness that is around us. Yet we are called to live in hope and to show it and share it with gentleness and respect and with a good conscience. What people need most today, what people need most in 2022 is for us as Christians to show them who God is and what it looks like to follow him. And you've heard me say this before many, many times, but I truly find the most powerful way to do that is to admit to them when we fail it. I really believe the best way as Christians to demonstrate to this world what it means, what it looks like to be a Christian is to let them know when we don't live up to that standard. Because failure, forgiveness, admitting mistakes, asking for repentance, those are certainly things this world's not doing. That's not things that's being taught by this world. Those are not principles that are being held up as that standard. But as we do that, as we demonstrate that in gentleness, respect, with a good conscience, they'll be left asking, why? Why? Why do that when it costs you? Why do that when it only benefits me. Why treat me that way? And there's our opening. Be ready to give a defense for the faith that is in you because of Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done for me. I've already been given the greatest gifts that can ever be given. I've been given what I do not deserve and so in turn I want to share with you 
Not because you deserve it, but because God is good. And that, my dear brothers and sisters, is, is how we will defend our faith. That is how we will shine a light in this world. That is how we will, without fear, be bold. And ultimately, we accept that we're not doing this for the world. We're to love them and share the gospel with them. We're to pray for them. We're doing it for Christ. We're doing it for Him. We're serving our King. We're serving our Father in Heaven. The One who has saved us and redeemed us and brought us to Himself. Who laid down His life that we may live. That's another way we do it without fear. We're doing it for God. Not for man. And the last thing that Peter makes a point in this passage is that you will be rewarded for this. It is not go unseen. And boy, can't that be hard. It is often so hard to put in work, to put in time, to spend the energy and not see the fruit, to not see the result, to not get to that end and, and know that you've completed your task. But God sees it. God knows. God rewards the consequences. God rewards the path. You know, one of the biggest prayers of this church, and I, I remember as we've talked about it and we talked about planting it and, and we continue to pray for it, it's not for us, it's for God. But what we do here and what we leave, we leave a legacy for our children and our children's children and their children's children and for their neighbors and for their co-workers and for those that, Lord willing, a hundred years from now come to this building who know none of us, have no memory of the planting of this church or why it is here, but they trust in God because He is faithful, because God has blessed this place and allowed faithful preaching to continue and brought godly people to it. We will be long forgotten one day. It is coming. A time is coming soon. But we're rewarded by knowing that God will use it for His glory. And so, when we hear the Word of God, and when we know that people respond to it, as we have responded to it, we should rejoice. That is reward, dear brothers and sisters. If you're hearing this today, if you're hearing this message and you believe it, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that is your reward. You have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Don't minimize that blessing. Don't minimize the, the beauty of that. As we prayed, and I really do believe, if God does not open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, we will not receive his word. So we, we trust him that when we live boldly without fear, when we suffer injustice, when we defend our faith, when we suffer the consequences, and we stand for him, that there will be some that go, why? We say, well, let me tell you about a man named Jesus Christ. And, and by being that example, by being that witness, they will then humble themselves. They will then submit the knee to King Jesus. They will then have their lives transformed, not because of you, but because of God. And your reward is getting to be a part of that, is getting to play a part in God's plan of salvation for that person, for that family, for those lives. And who knows, a hundred years from now, the fruit that that might bear. It may change family trees. 
neighborhoods, societies, workplaces, the, the, the consequences of that seed, of that fruit being placed. We don't even know. It's hard to even imagine what it could do. But know that it is possible with God. And so we understand and recognize that our endurance in these matters will reap reward, dear Christian. You may not get to see it this side of heaven. You may not get to see it in heaven either. But that does not mean it is not real. But there is another reward. There is another way that, that we see this fulfilled. And, and this is a very somber point, but it's one that needs to be made. When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. The hard truth of it is, we will all give it an account for our lives on the day of judgment. We will all stand before God and we will, be, we will tell him what we did with that which he had given us. And those that trust in God, that are covered by the blood of Christ, will be ushered into heaven. Well done, my good and faithful servants. Those that reject him on this earth will be cast out. Will face an eternity of judgment. Will stand in his eternal judgment. And that will be vindication for God. They will receive what they deserve for denying the Savior. God will be rewarded or God will be glorified, I should rather say, by his justice and judgment being carried out. And that's hard to say. That, that, that's a really hard point to admit. But, but Peter says, it is better to suffer for good than to suffer for evil. Because if you suffer for doing good now, that is temporary. But if you suffer for evil in the ultimate sense, you do that for eternity. All eternity. Forever and ever and ever and ever. Without end. A full weight, a full measure of God's judgment upon you. And that should spurn us. That should urge us. That should drive us, dear Christian, to all the more heed this passage. To live without fear. Go boldly before your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Face the consequences. Do what is necessary. Do good. Ignore the evil. Have a clear conscience and a kind and soft heart. Proclaim your faith. Defend it boldly. And trust that God will sort it out. Because he will. Peter is writing to a church that is facing persecution and hardship. And I pray for all of us today that we, much like they did, we would boldly do good no matter the earthly consequences. For it is far better to suffer for doing good than to ultimately suffer for doing that which is evil. And this, my dear brothers and sisters, is how we can have hope for the days ahead, for the uncertainty that is to come in 2022. We know that we do not have many days left until Christ returns. Each day is one day closer. And we have a choice today in how we're going to spend it and to spend it without fear. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is a very weighty matter to think about eternal judgment for rejecting you and rejecting your promises. So I pray, Lord, that this would spur us to live boldly, to defend our faith, to suffer the consequences, and to be a light, to be salt in this world. 
We don't know the number of our days, but we know they are numbered. We don't know the length of time our suffering will last. How long you will call us to to struggle, to endure things that seem too much for us. That threaten to overwhelm us and overcome us. But we do know, Lord, that all of it is temporary. Father, I pray for everyone in this room, everyone joining us online, that they may have their hope and trust in you, that they may be covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and that as they look at this passage, it is not out of fear for your judgment, but it is a righteous fear to serve you and serve your kingdom well. Lord, I struggle in this. It is far too easy to bend to my own imagination of what could happen and what could come and what may take place. Help me and help all of us trust in you in this year to come. And prepare us, Lord, to live for what is ahead. Do so by your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.